Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 76 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening, participating, and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any question, or any suggestion, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you're studying the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you are already a Muslim who wants to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Uh, also, you guys can follow me on Instagram at with Wa'il. Again, my username is with uh, Wa'il, one word. Um, you know, I just, you know, post uh, some announcements about the podcast, you know, the upcoming episodes and all these things. And I also post short videos uh, answering people's questions about Islam. Uh, with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic, we will talk about... Uh, a battle that's uh, it's not a typical battle it's not like the battle of Badr and it's not like the battle of Uhud it's a kind of a unique battle from every aspect and it's actually a direct result of what happened to Banu Nadir the second Jewish tribe that the Prophet ﷺ, you know expelled from Medina um, and this battle was a cause for what happened. It was a response, a retaliation by Banu Nadir. So what happened is uh, Banu Nadir, you know, we talked last uh, last episode when they tried to kill the Prophet ﷺ by throwing a rock on top of his head. Uh, and of course, Angel Jibril came to him and told him, you know, to, to, to walk away. And, you know, they were, you know, uh, kicked out of, 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 uh, of, you know, their fortresses and, you know, but the Prophet ﷺ also allowed them to take whatever they can with them. So they left with a good amount of wealth, but of course they wanted to come back and, you know, take everything that belonged to them. And they also wanted to destroy and, and the Muslims for, you know, doing this, even though they're the ones who broke the treaty with the Muslims, they're the ones who tr- technically committed treason against the leader of the country that they're living in, which is Medina, right? But they didn't care and they wanted to retaliate. So they decided to go to Quraysh. And uh, they offered help. They said, you know what? I think it's time, uh, you know, the leader of Banu Nadir went and he said, I think it's time for you guys to, you know, retaliate and attack uh, the Muslims uh, and, you know, fight them and we're... Uh, right, gonna be right there with you. Even Quraysh actually were weirded out and confused by this, uh, you know, the the position of Banu Nadir. At the end of the day, Banu Nadir used to live in Medina, so why did you guys flip? And actually, Abu Sufyan, the cousin of the Prophet, who is technically right now is you know the main enemy of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam because he is the leader of Quraysh right now, right? Because all the other elites uh, died. Even Abu Sufyan, he literally uh, says to the leaders of Banu Nadir when they came, you know, the 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 the, the you know the, the delegation that came from Banu Nadir to Quraysh, he literally told them, "Any enemy of the Muslims is our ally. But isn't your religion 
Look, even he is questioning this. Is it your religion closer to the Muslims than ours? Meaning you guys are almost similar in terms of religion. And actually, this is mentioned in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, and we talked about this you know, in the last episode, the closest people in terms of religion to you, to the Muslims, addressing us, the Muslims, are the Jews. Judaism is the closest in terms of Sharia, in terms of you know theology, in terms of it's not the same, but there it's the closest, you know, uh, uh, among all other religions to Islam. That's why this is one of the responses you know Muslims you know uh, say when people call Muslims anti-Semitic. It's in the Quran that Judaism is the closest religion to us. Now, uh, so. Even Abu Sufyan is asking the question, you guys are really close to the Muslims. What's going on? And then, of course, the leaders of you know, Banu Nadir, they literally wanted the help of the Quraysh to attack Medina. So they basically uh, you know, said, no, you're, you're wrong. You guys are closer to us. Of course, this was complete bogus. That did not make any sense. But Quraysh wanted to attack the Muslims. Banu Nadir wanted to attack the Muslims. So they really didn't care about motivation that much. Now, Banu Nadir offered, because remember, they, when they left Medina, they had wealth, right? So they offered a lot of wealth. They offered support, financial support uh, to Quraysh, you know, to go to that battle, to go to that war with the Muslims. And of course, Quraysh agreed to join the battle. Now, Quraysh said, if we're going to do this, we have to do it differently. We have to do it the right way, you know? So they basically sent a delegation to a tribe up north of Medina called the tribe the tribe of Ghatafan. And Ghatafan is, was a, a decent uh, tribe. It was a respected tribe. But Ghatafan didn't have any issues with the Muslims. They had no quarrel. They had no problems with the Muslims. So they said, we're not interested in fighting. So of course, Quraysh really needed Ghatafan. So they kept basically bargaining with them. They offered them almost a fortune and eventually Qatafan agreed because you know uh, of the financial incentive that they offered now once Qatafan agreed it was a big deal so now Quraysh started sending delegations to other tribes and they literally said hey Qatafan is with us Banu Nadir who are from Medina which is kind of a disgrace you know who are already from Medina, they live with the Muslims, now we are forming an alliance. And this alliance was called the Confederates. Now, the battle that we're about to talk about is called the Battle of the Trench, right? And you guys will know why it's called the Battle of the Trench, but there's another name for this battle, which is the Confederates, the Battle of the Confederates, which is in Arabic translates to Al-Ahzab. Uh, and actually, Al-Ahzab is mentioned in the Quran and, you know, uh, the Battle of the Trench means in Arabic, it means Al-Khandaq, Ghazwat Al-Khandaq. So, yeah. Now, they were able to gather 10,000 men to go to war with the Muslims. Can you imagine? This is a huge number. Like in the Battle of Uhud, we said Quraysh were so much more than the Muslims and there were only 3,000 men. Now they were able, again, because it's the Confederates, right? They got so many tribes to participate. So they got 10,000 men. They wanted to go for the kill, basically. They said, this is it. Once and for all, let's just end the Muslims. 
Meanwhile, the news, of course, because they're sending delegations here and there, the news reached the Prophet ﷺ. And because of that, he gathered all the companions to discuss what are they going to do next. And a companion by the name Salman al-Farisi, he's a very famous companion, uh, Salman the Persian, uh, he basically told the, the Prophet ﷺ an idea. He said, now they're coming to attack Medina. And back when I used to be in Persia, when an enemy used to come and attack you know, the kingdom, we used to build a trench. We used to dig a trench. And when you dig a trench around the city, right, it will uh, stop the attack. It will cause chaos. So think about it this way. When you build a trench, and the trench that they built was almost 13, 14 feet wide, and it was like two kilometers long. So if you build a trench and there is an army charging against you, what's going to happen? They're going to have to go down the trench and then climb back up. So it causes chaos, right? It causes chaos and they become easy targets while they are in the trench. When they go down the trench, they become easy targets. So it causes an issue, right? Uh, so basically Salman suggested this idea to the Prophet ﷺ and he told him, you know, this will definitely help us protect the city and we'll be ready once they come out of the trench or we can attack them while in, they are inside of the trench. Now you guys have to understand that also Medina was naturally protected by two from the two sides, east and the west. So the trench didn't have to be that long. We said it's only two kilometers long, right? The east side and, uh, and, and they call it Al-Harra Al-Gharbiya and Al-Harra Al-Sharqiya. These two sides are actually, uh, they have volcanic rocks. There was a volcano that, you know, was erupted years and years before. And of course, it was a dead volcano then, you know, at the time. But the volcanic rocks made it so difficult to, for an army to, you know, attack and walk on to perform an attack against Medina. So Medina subhanAllah was naturally protected by these volcanic rocks. So anyway, the Prophet ﷺ agrees to, uh, to Salman's idea and he uh, commands the Muslims to start digging a trench and the Prophet ﷺ himself helped you know, digging that trench. But at the same time, um, the Prophet ﷺ was thinking a few steps ahead. Uh, the issue is he didn't fully trust the last Jewish tribe, which is Banu Quraida. Now, if you guys remember, when the first uh, uh, situation uh, with the first Jewish tribe took place, remember the massacre and all these things, the Prophet ﷺ went to the you know, the other two tribes, Banu Nadir and Banu Quraida, and he asked them, hey, do you guys, will you guys honor the treaty? And they both said, yes. Then when Banu Nadir tried to kill the Prophet, وسلم, he went to Banu Quraida, the last remaining Jewish tribe. And he asked him, hey, would you guys honor the treaty? And they said, yes, we will. Don't worry about it. Now, when this, of course, Banu Nadir were exp uh, you know, uh, expelled from uh, Medina, and now they are helping uh, the attackers uh, and helping you know, the army of Quraysh to attack Medina. So now there's only one tribe left. 
So the Prophet want to make sure, you know, he was want to make sure that they will comply. He asked them already twice, and he did not fully trust them, you know, might be, you know, they might flip during the battle. So what he did was he decided to send the women and the children into a fortress, which was technically a knockoff of the Jewish fortresses that was built by Banu Haritha. Now, Banu Haritha, uh, it was, you know, a tribe in, in from the Ansar, from the uh, Muslim Ansar, right? And they basically uh, tried to imitate uh, the Jews uh, in their fortresses. So they made a knockoff version of the fortresses, but it was fortress, you know, a fortress nonetheless. So the women, the Muslim women and the Muslim children were sent to that fortress for extra protection because the Prophet ﷺ was, you know, questioning the loyalty of Banu Quraida, who, by the way, are inside of Medina. Now, all the Muslims started digging uh, the trench, including the Prophet ﷺ. And like we said, the trench was around like 13 to 15 uh, feet wide, and it was around two kilometers long. And that was during winter time, and it was very cold. Like, by the way, in the desert, when it's cold in the winter at nighttime, it's very cold. There was also a lack of food. Because guess what happened when, you know, they heard around 10,000 men are coming to attack Medina. Everything in Medina stopped. Trade stopped. Farming stopped. Everybody's either, you know, digging the trench or they are hiding in the fortress so uh again there was not a lot of food so the muslims started you know mixing barley dried barley with oil they literally try to make some sort of a paste to you know fulfill their hunger it tasted horrible it smelled really bad but it filled them you know subhanallah like you know going through uh, the, the biography of the Prophet Sallallahu food, uh, f- you know, eating and drinking was the last thing that they ever, you know, thought about. And they just used to get by for the sake of Islam. SubhanAllah. And, you know, look at us now, you know, eating the fanciest foods and, 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 and drinks and all these things. May Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala protect us all. But anyway, so yes, uh, now a companion. Uh, oh, and also the companions, because... Uh, you know, uh, because of the hunger and, you know, the severity of the hunger. One time they saw the Prophet Wasallam uh, tying a rock to his stomach. Now, the, the rock was not too big, you know, because he was able to function and walk with it. And, you know, one time he lifted his, his, his upper, you know, shirt. And they basically saw the rock tied in, you know, to the to the stomach of the Prophet ﷺ. And he did that for two reasons. Number one, to help with the pain of the stomach from hunger. SubhanAllah, can you imagine this? Wallahi, this is insane. You know, the Prophet ﷺ was trying to apply pressure by tying a rock to his stomach so he can, you know, feel uh, less of a pain from hunger. And also he wanted to mentally trick himself and trick his stomach into thinking that it's filled with something. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this? He wanted to trick his own stomach into, you know, thinking that it's filled with something. And he also wanted to apply pressure for the pain from hunger. SubhanAllah. And that was the best of mankind. So don't you ever think that prophets and messengers were not tested 
That's what makes them the best of the best, subhanAllah. Anyway, so uh, a companion by the name of Jabir, he sees this and he gets very upset for the Prophet Sallallahu You know, he doesn't care about himself. He cares about, you know, the Prophet Sallallahu So he goes to his wife and he asks his wife, he's like, what do we have to offer for the Prophet So she says, we have a very small young goat that won't do anything. So he said, you know, just slaughter, like I'll slaughter it and you just, just cook it. You know, we'll just, you know, cook it. Don't worry about it. So uh, he goes to the Prophet Sallallahu and he whispers in his ears and he said, Oh, Prophet of Allah, you know, I have my wife and I, you know, prepare the meal for you. So if you, you know, can come and, and you know, uh, join us for, you know, dinner. And basically he did not say that out loud and he had to whisper because he did not want to f- offend the rest of the Muslims. There were like around a thousand Muslims digging the trench and patrolling the trench, right? He cannot feed them from a tiny small goat, right? So that's why he was being very discreet. He did not want to offend them by, you know, doing that in public. But here's the f- interesting and the funny thing. So the Prophet Sallallahu you know, stood up and shouted, Oh, people of the trench! Jabir and his wife have prepared a meal for us. All of you, inshallah, are welcome. Now, here's uh, an interesting part. Jabir was not counting on this. Jabir got really, you know, shocked, right? And he got... So the funny thing is, <laughs> Jabir was not counting on the Prophet ﷺ, you know, exposing him in that way. He's trying to be discreet because he doesn't, you know, have enough meat for everybody. But, you know, what is he going to do now? The Prophet ﷺ announced it. So he would just walked with them helpless to his, you know, house. And, you know, there's even a funny situation when the wife saw everybody coming. She looks at Jabir and she's like, did you do this? Did you tell them that we have enough meat for all of them? What, what, what were you thinking? And then Jabir responds and said, uh, it was the Prophet ﷺ who told him. So at this, the wife, you know, said, okay, then if, the, if it's the Prophet ﷺ, then what are we going to do? Now, here's the interesting part. The Prophet ﷺ told Jabir not to touch the food. Now, the food is cooking and the Muslims are on their way to Jabir's house. So the Prophet ﷺ told them, do not open the pot until I come. And then, they all reached there and then, um, you know, the Prophet ﷺ was the first one to go to the food while it was cooking. And then the Prophet ﷺ, you know, comes in front of the pot. He opens it and he makes dua to Allah. He asks Allah. He makes a prayer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he spits in the food. Now, don't before you get grossed out, we talked about this before, that saliva and even the sweat of the Prophet ﷺ are pure. They're not like our sweat and saliva. Right, there are Allah gave the Prophet some sort of a subhanAllah like a miracle or a blessing that his sweat used to, you know, uh, be used as cologne. Literally, imagine if your sweat is literally fragrant. You know, he had fragrance as sweat. Like when he would sweat from like working hard and doing labor work, people would smell something amazing. Literally, they used to, and at which we mentioned this in the beginning uh, of, you know, talking about the biography of the Prophet ﷺ, you know, they used to actually fill up vials, the wives. They would take, when he would, you know, sweat while sleeping at night, they would like take little, you know, vials and they would literally put that sweat into these little vials and then they would use it as perfume. 
it's an incredible subhanallah it's it's beyond this world but again it's the prophet sallallahu and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving him that blessing so his spit right it's 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 blessed it's a blessing from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it doesn't have bacteria or it's not like ours it's not disgusting like ours it's actually something that's completely pure and even more than pure it's a blessed uh you know uh saliva so the Prophet ﷺ, so again, don't get grossed out. The Prophet ﷺ is different. You know, that don't don't think our you know the uh, Islam encourages to spit in food or no. The Prophet ﷺ had a special you know a specific blessings that nobody else were was you know giving. So anyway, he spits in the food and then he literally closes the pot. And then he asks uh, now the 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 dine, let's say the the whole house could not take more than ten people at a time. And we said there were about like a thousand men. So the Prophet asks for every 10 to come at a time. And then they put the pot and there was like some sort of like, you know, the goat soup and then whatever, it, you know, the meat with the pot and whatever. So every 10 went inside. Now, this this little goat would be enough for literally like four or five people. Right, if you're, you know, thinking about it, you know, it's just it's a small goat, right? Or maybe ten people at max, let's say. It's a tiny goat. It's not like a regular size goat. So anyway, the first ten people go in, they eat, they come up. Now, what's gonna happen? You know, Jebra is like, well, I mean, that's it, right? But then the second batch, the second, you know, a group of ten people come in, they eat to their full, they leave. All thousand men ate they're full subhanallah they ate as if each of them and this is narrated by them by the companions themselves who ate from you know that uh uh that goat they said each of them ate as if they ate the entire goat each of them ate an entire goat subhanallah and this was a miracle that happened during the battle of the trench and subhanAllah, it's, again, there are so many miracles like that, you know, when it comes to the blessings of the Prophet Sallallahu that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has, you know, giving him. So anyway, uh, uh, another miracle that took place is that during, you know, uh, digging the trench, there was a huge rock that was on, you know, in their way. And the companions tried so hard to break it, but it was technically unbreakable. So, uh, they this, some of them decided, you know, they said, you know what, let's dig around that rock. But then, you know, uh, others said, well, how about if we ask the Prophet ﷺ, you know, let's ask for his opinion and see what he says. So the Prophet ﷺ takes his axe and he literally hits it once and the rock crumbles. But before he hits it, here's the interesting part. He says what? Bismillah, Allahu Akbar. So here's, a, you know, something that you guys need to know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving all these blessings to the Prophet But not even once he you know, demonstrated those blessings without mentioning Allah's name. Like when he went to the pot, he made dua to Allah. When he you know, was about to break the rock, he made dua to Allah and he said, Bismillah, Allahu Akbar. You have to put Allah's name. Just say Bismillah. You know, that was a question that was you know asked by a new... Um, uh, a new uh, revert to Islam uh, uh, And they were like Do we have to make dua Do you have to say a supplication Before we do everything No not necessarily No absolutely not But before you do everything You should say Bismillah Except don't say it in the bathroom Before you use the bathroom Because you're not supposed to mention Allah's name in the bathroom 
But you know, before you eat, you should say Bismillah. Before you drink, you should say Bismillah. Before you work, you go to work, you should say you should say Bismillah. You should say Bismillah before you do anything, you know, except for again, like I said, using the bathroom. Actually, before you have um you you become intimate with your spouse, you're actually supposed to say Bismillah. And there's a little dua that you have to say, uh so shaitan, uh, so the devil does not get involved in the intercourse because they actually do if you don't so you just say should say bismillah and then you you should say the dua and those of you who do not know it in in, in arabic allahumma jannibna shaytan wa jannib shaytana ma razaqtana oh allah protect us and our progeny from shaytan right but you again the, the gist is you have to say bismillah before everything uh that you you know you're about to do now Muslims started, you know, uh, walking around uh, the the trench, patrolling the trench, basically, while you know uh, another group was, you know, still digging, and they used to shout "Allahu Akbar" out loud to basically show their presence. For those of you who are afraid, you know, uh, for the non-Muslims who, when they see Muslims shouting "Allahu Akbar," "Allahu Akbar" does not mean anything negative. It's actually a very, very positive word, and it basically raises the morale and. All it means is Allah is greater than all. Now, this was all good. The Muslims were a little stressed because, again, 10,000 men is a little bit too much. But the moment that the Prophet ﷺ was afraid of came that shifted the Muslims from being a little worried to them being terrified for their families, which was... The turning of Banu Quraida, the betrayal of Banu Quraida. What happened is the leader of Banu Nadir, remember we said Huyay, who is the father of Safiya, uh, one of the wives of the Prophet, وسلم, he went, snuck back into the city, into Medina. You know, after the expulsion and everything, again, he's the one who went to Abu Sufyan to ask him to go to war with the Muslims. And then, uh, you know, he uh, went uh, to the leader of Banu Quraida. Now, the Banu Quraida is the last tribe remaining, remember? This is the last tribe remaining, the third Jewish tribe. Banu Quraida, that's their name. So, the leader of the second tribe, Banu Nadir, went to the leader of uh, the third tribe, the only tribe that's now quote-unquote, fulfilling the treaty, honoring the treaty, quote-unquote, right? Uh, and uh, basically, he went and he tried to convince him to turn against the Muslims, to betray the Muslims. And he said, this is going to be the final you know, blow. We need you guys. And if we do this, then we are for sure going to win this war and there is nothing for you to worry about. Now, the leader of Banu Quraida, the, le- the leader of the third tribe was worried, of course. Treason is a big deal. And this is not just treason. This is not them trying to kill the Prophet ﷺ only. Now they're going to try to kill all the Muslims from within, including the Prophet ﷺ, including the women, including the children. So it took a lot of convincing from Huyayi, uh, from the leader of Banu Nadir. Uh, so, you know, to make... Uh, Banu Quraida agree to betray the Muslims. It took a lot of convincing, but eventually it did work. They were convinced. Now, some of you might ask, why didn't Jibril, Angel Jibril, right, 
comes straight to the Prophet Wasallam and tell him, like he did with Banu Nadir, remember when they tried to kill him. Well, there are other forms of revelations. You have to understand when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to inform the Prophet Wasallam, uh, you know, uh, inform him with, you know, of something, he either do, he mainly does it through Jibreel, but sometimes he makes him feel something. And this is exactly what happened. Our Prophet Wasallam felt that something was wrong. He felt it in his heart. Then he asked, uh, you know, uh, who would volunteer to go check on Banu Quraida? He said, I need someone to go and see what they're doing. Out of nowhere. And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, inspiration. And a companion by the name uh, Al-Zubayr ibn al-Awwam said, I will do it. Now, Here's an interesting thing about Zubair. You guys need to know this. Um, Al-Zubair ibn al-Awwam uh, is actually the disciple of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu in an authentic hadith said that every single prophet and messenger was sent by Allah had disciples. Like the disciples of, you know, Jesus Christ. Moses had disciples too. Every single prophet. And Al-Zubair is my disciple. This is actually authentic hadith. So he calls Zubair his disciple. You know, which is a huge praise for uh, Zubair. So Zubair uh, volunteered and he went to spy on Banu Quraida and he saw them preparing their armors to attack the Muslims. Now it's official. So right away he came back to inform the Prophet ﷺ with what they were doing. Here's the interesting part. Even though Al-Zubair witnessed what they were doing, the Prophet ﷺ did not want to act just because Zubair saw them. He just wanted to double verify. He did not want to leave anything to any misinterpretation. So, four of the leaders of Ansar who knew had a relationship with Banu Quraida. The Prophet ﷺ went to those four and he told them, how about you go to Banu Quraida, talk to them, ask them if they still honor the treaty, and let's, you know, see how they respond. Basically, to analyze the situation up close. And they went and they started talking to them. You know, they went, they knocked on, you know, went to the fortress. Of course, they started hiding whatever they were preparing. But then they didn't even welcome them like they used to. And they started talking to them. And they had a very vulgar and bad attitude. And the Muslims right away, the four leaders, they f- they right away felt that, yeah, what Zubair saw was not a misunderstanding. They are about to betray us. So they went back to the Prophet Wasallam and they told him, this is exactly what's happening. They are about to betray us. The Prophet Wasallam announced to the companions, to all the Muslims, the truth, he told them, this is exactly what's happening. And because of that, the companions got so depressed. Imagine, 10,000 men are approaching Medina to kill you and your family. And from within, a big faction of people are about to betray you. So because of that, the companions lived one of the worst nights of their lives. They were very anxious. They were very worried. You know, even though 
they knew that they were upon the truth, but you know, they were tested in their faith. They started questioning Allah. Now, let's be clear here. We're not talking about the elites of the companions. We're not talking about Omar. We're not talking about Abu Bakr. We're not talking. Of course, the Prophet is you know out of this equation because the Prophet has a full trust in Allah. So did Omar. So did Abu Bakr. So did Uthman, Ali. All these big names, you know, uh, they had no doubt. Some of the companions, some of them started, you know, asking certain things that unfortunately some of us are guilty of uh, in today's world. When something, uh, you know, uh, very hard, hit, you know, hits us, when a big calamity hits us, we start questioning Allah. Why did you do this, Allah? Why? You know, I've been praying, I've been a good Muslim, why? And this is a big mistake. This is not the attitude of a Muslim. Questioning Allah is actually a sin because that means you're not satisfied with Allah's decree. Instead of questioning Allah, you make dua for Allah to you know, remove the calamity, to remove the hardship and assure yourself that this is just a test from Allah or Allah's doing this for a wisdom. Do not ever question Allah's judgment. Ever. Because Allah is the perfect creator. Allah does not do anything random. Allah does not commit any injustices. Come on. We know this as Muslims. But, you know, these, uh, some of the companions under the pressure, under the stress, their families' lives are in danger. Their lives are in danger. They're about to lose everything. They think that. That's what they're thinking. So their iman was, you know, shook. Their iman, their faith, Shook a little bit, you know, was just shaking a little bit, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually addresses this in the Quran, the chapter of Ahzab. Like, there's a chapter called the Confederates in the Quran, like I said, there's a chapter called the Ahzab, and that chapter described that Ahzab in Arabic means the Confederates. Uh, um, so, chapter Ahzab, verse number uh, 10 and 11. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِذْ جَاءُكُمْ مِنْ فَوْقِكُمْ وَمِنْ أَسْفَلِ مِنْكُمْ وَإِذْ زَاغَتِ الْأَبُصَارُ وَبَلَغَتِ الْقُلُوبُ الْحَنَاجِرُ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in this, uh, in this verse, when they come, when they surround you. Because guess what? Quraysh are now approaching Medina and they are surrounding Medina because they saw that the trench was, you know, that the Muslims dug the trench. So they can't just charge. Okay, and that was the whole purpose of the trench. They started, you know, Camping around the trench cannot cross it because it's going to cause chaos for Quraysh and the Confederates. So Allah is describing: The enemy came to you from externally and internally. Talking about Banu Quraida here, right? The last Jewish tribe. And your hearts. From fear almost reached your throats. That's an expression, right? Your heart almost reached your throat from fear, from anxiety. And you started doubting Allah. You started having ideas about Allah, that Allah, why is Allah doing this to us and all these things? And right then, the believers were tested. Look, Allah is calling them believers still. And this is a big deal. Because again, as believers, we could be tested. Sometimes we'll fail. And hopefully, we'll win more than we fail. 
But again, Islam is a beautiful religion because Islam knows, Allah knows that we will make mistakes. Our level of faith will vary from one moment to another. That's actually the definition of faith in Islam, al-Iman. You know, it's what you believe in your heart and what you announce with your tongue and what you do in your actions. That's literally the definition of, of faith. You know, when it comes to believing in Allah and you know and, and, and Islam and all what Allah sent. And here's the ending of the definition. It could decrease and it could increase. That level of faith could increase and it could decrease. There's nothing wrong with that. The only thing wrong is when it decreases, you don't try to increase it. As a believer, as a Muslim, when you feel like your level of faith is decreasing, you have to increase it. It's normal for it to decrease. But you have to try to increase it back, you know, uh, up again. Now, so Allah is saying, وَهُنَالِكَ ابْتُلِيَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ وَزُلْزِلُوا زِلْزَالًا شَدِيدًا And they were shaking. They shook from the inside. وَإِذْ يَقُولُ الْمُنَافِقُونَ وَالَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ مَا وَعَدَنَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولَهُ إِلَّا غُرُورًا And Allah now is describing the hypocrites, what they said. They said what? Now, the hypocrites are with the Muslims, right? They're all in Medina, pretending to help the Muslims dig in the trench. So what did they say, the hypocrites? Oh, God, Allah, and His Messenger, they gave us false promises. We're about to die now. Look at what they did. They gave us false we, we We lived a great life before the Muslims came. That's what they started saying. Basically, they said, let's not fight anymore. Now, the hypocrites are trying to, you know, play uh, with the hearts of the believers who, you know, their hearts started to shake a little bit. But of course, Allah calls them the believers because guess what? Yes, their iman was tested. Their faith was tested. But at the end of the day, they kept strong. They stayed strong and they stayed, you know, all together. So Allah describes this in this chapter, chapter Ahzab, verse number 10 and verse number 11. So it is okay to be worried as a Muslim. It's not a sign of hypocrisy or anything to, to be worried about the future. What's not okay is to, number one, excess in that worry and, you know, anxiousness. You're not supposed to excess because when you excess in worrying about the future and about a specific situation, that means your trust in Allah is very weak. So do not excess. It's it's normal to worry. It's a human nature, but do not let it excess. Exactly like anger, you know, a, Muslim, a believer could get angry, but do not excess in your anger. Do not make your anger cause issues and cause problems and cause you to do something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade us from doing. And again, the elite of the companions, that's not what Allah is talking about here. There's a, a small group of the companions who had certain, and Allah did not expose them. Allah did not say who they were because again, Allah knows this is normal. You know, their iman was shaken a little bit, but they're, you know, they got back on track. Right, and this gives us so much hope. Wallahi, like this story gives us so much hope because we once in a while, you know, fall into sins. Our belief starts to, you know, once in a while when you're praying all the five daily prayers and then you pray, then a while, sometimes you feel like you, you just, uh, you're tired. Sometimes you're like, oh, let me just, you know, finish doing this and I'll pray. Sometimes you don't pray the nawafil, sometimes you miss a salah, sometimes you miss a prayer. This happens. That does not mean you're a hypocrite. That does not mean you're not a believer. But how to stay a believer 
Once you feel, you have to be very sharp when it comes to your level of faith. You have to, to start to realize when it decreases, when it you know drops, and try you know, and you have to try to you know uh, increase it uh, again. Now, of course, the hypocrites, and this is described in the verses that we just recited, ask for a permission to leave to quote unquote protect their families. But again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala straight up exposed them in the Quran and he said what? They said, oh, we're about to leave now to protect our families, but they only left because they did not want to fight with the Muslims and they wanted basically the Muslims to face death alone. Now, Banu Quraida sent uh, two people to basically scout and check the fortress of Banu Harith. Now, this fortress has what? Has the Muslim women and the children. And they sent out uh, a couple of scouts to simply check if they are protected, if there are soldiers there, and if not, they were about to kill all the women and children. So they sent a couple, and then they started, you know, climbing uh, the wall of uh, of the fortress. And at that time, Safiya. Now, this is not Safiya, the wife of the Prophet This is Safiya, the aunt of the Prophet So there are two Safiyas here. Safiya, the wife of the Prophet that she comes later. You know, he marries her later on. Uh, but we're talking about now the Safiya, the aunt of the Prophet She was, of course, with the women, and she heard someone climbing the walls of the fortress. So she, Safiya covered her face, and she went, you know, where the sound was coming from, the, to the area where, you know, the scouts were climbing the wall, and she literally stabbed the, the first climber and basically the scout and then he fell off the wall and when the rest of the scouts saw him falling off the wall dead they realized oh there are soldiers there they have bodyguards they are being protected let's run back and tell you know the leader of Banu Quraida that we could not kill the women and they basically can't attack because you know the Muslims left um, soldiers there to protect the women and the children and it shows you how disgusting that plan was. Can you imagine? They went to kill the. Ch- they wanted to see if the children and the women were alone, so they could literally slaughter them to weaken the Muslims. Because that was the plan: to distract the Muslims, weaken them when they see all their families dead, and then they will be easily, you know, taken out after them. Their morale will drop. They will be depressed. They will be, you know, grieve, and they will won't be able to, you know, fight. And it shows you how low. Banu Quraida, you know, were thinking. So not just they committed treason, it was not just that, they wanted to kill women and children. Now, after this incident, our Prophet ﷺ sent, you know, a small group of uh, Muslims to protect the children and the women in the fortress. Now, the treason is official. And this group was led by uh, Zayd ibn Haritha. Remember, we said Zayd was the only companion that you know his name was mentioned in the quran uh, uh you know he uh was the adopted son of the prophet so zaid took a few men and they went to protect the fortress now when the army of the confederates came like we said and they saw the trench they realized they cannot charge in mass they can't fight in mass right so they camped outside of medina for 30 days imagine it was such a difficult time. 
they camped in front of Medina for 30 days. You know? And after that, a small group of, you know, the Quraysh uh, army were able to cross the trench. Now, they started sneaking. Well, you know, I mean, you can't protect all parts of the trench. It was two kilometers long, you know, so you can't protect it all the time. So some were able to cross. And, uh, you know, they were led by uh, 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 a man called Amr ibn, ibn Abdul. Now, Wood was a name of, uh, of uh, 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 God, uh, an idol that they worshipped. So basically, uh, you know, he was named after that idol. And the Muslims literally met Amr ibn Wood, or let's just call him ibn Wood, right? As soon as he crossed. So, of course, out of, you know, his pride and arrogance, he said, who would fight me? So imagine, he took a, a group of men and he started sneaking and he was able to, you know, cross the trench. And as soon as he crossed, he found a group of Muslims waiting for him. But he already crossed. So he said, who is going to fight me right now? Then Ali said, I will. Now, the Prophet ﷺ, when he heard this, he said to Ali, no, don't. It's Amr. And Amr is a very skilled warrior let another experienced you know muslim fight him then amr asked again who will fight me then ali again asked our prophet you know can i just go nobody's responding again amr ibn wood is a very skilled warrior so you know muslims are tired it's not like they're, they're afraid of him but they're tired and you know they they don't know how are they going to fight such a skilled warrior so Ali looks at the Prophet he's like oh Prophet of Allah can I just go and the Prophet gave him the same response it's this is Amr just wait you know then for a third time Amr ibn Ud goes who is going to fight me and then the Prophet said it's Amr you know like a skilled warrior so to that Ali said even if it was Amr I want to fight him I don't care basically I don't care who Amr is I'll fight him so uh, the Prophet ﷺ agreed and he let Ali go. And, you know, again, that was a duel. Remember, this is the custom of, you know, uh, the battles back in the day when two small groups or two armies are about to face, you know, a warrior from uh, each group uh, will engage with the other, with another warrior from, you know, the other group and they will, you know, have a duel. So uh, Amr asks, who is this? And then Ali says, this is Ali ibn Abi Talib, you know, the cousin of the Prophet So Amr goes, come on, son, uh, you, you're a little kid, literally. Go back and send someone who is more experienced. Can you imagine? That was his response. Like he literally told him, like, I used to, you know, play with you when you're a little kid. Like I used to technically change your diaper, basically, in our time, right? I'm not going to kill you. And to that, Ali said, but I'm going to kill you. <laughs> you know, subhanAllah. So to that, Amr got so pissed. Now his pride, like you, you little kid telling me that um, you're going to kill me? Okay, let's fight. And Amr was very furious and they both started fighting. Now here's the thing. They were both riding on their horses. And they both, you know, charged against each other and they both jumped off their horses and they started battling. Now, Amr was known to have a very strong blows, so to give very strong blows with his sword. Uh, 
He was very, he had a strong arm. So Amr gave everything he had, all of his strength to a blow, uh, you know, uh, aimed towards Ali. And Ali was able to block it using his shield. But in the process, his shield was broken. Ali's shield was broken. But as soon as the sword of Amr hit the shield of Ali and it broke it, with the other hand, Ali used his sword to stab Amr in the neck. He did, guys, if you remember in Uhud, he did the same thing to uh, Talha. Uh, Talha, the guy who was on the side of Quraysh, not the Talha, the Muslim. Talha, the guy who was on the side of Quraysh. Uh, and literally, he you know attacked Ali. He blocked it with the shield and quickly Ali was known to be a very quick warrior he was very fast so with straight up if you think about it like in a split second like think about it like I'm, I'm explaining it now so I'm taking my time but think about it like the movies imagine like this uh, Amr attacking so he blows uh, 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 you know uh, his sword towards Ali Ali blocks it and instantly right, right, right at the same moment he stabs Amr in the neck and of course, Amr falls dead. And, you know, uh, Ali keeps saying, kept saying, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And the Muslims were so happy and they were able to defeat the group, the small group. Uh, and some of them, you know, escaped and they ran back outside of the trench. A major, major incident took place during these battles which was the death of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. Now, who is Sa'd ibn Mu'adh? For those of you who do not remember, Sa'd ibn Mu'adh is the one that when he died, the throne of Allah shook. The throne of Allah shook physically. That was not a metaphor. The Prophet ﷺ tells us in an authentic hadith, the throne of Allah shook from the death of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. Now, the scholars have differed. The majority of opinion, they say it, the, 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 the throne shook because of happiness. Out of happiness that Allah is about to receive the soul of such a righteous man, you know, such as Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. And uh, uh, some scholars, there are still, you know, a lot of scholars, they're saying that it also shook because it was angry that Sa'd was killed by a pagan uh, instead of you know dying a normal death, even though Allah knows how everybody will die, right? But again, Allah makes everything happens in order. Don't forget that. Now, Saad had his armor, but it was only covering his chest, and he was struck with an arrow that went very deep into his arm and hit his artery, and he kept bleeding. He did not die right away. But he kept bleeding very hard, like he was bleeding a lot. And, you know, eventually he dies, but he dies after the battle, with actually a few days even. After, right after he was wounded, he actually made a special dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at this. He says, well, Oh Allah, if the army of Quraysh is able to cross the trench, allow me to fight them because they are the most despised people to me. For what they did to the Prophet ﷺ. Imagine his love for the Prophet ﷺ and his anger for what Quraysh did to the Prophet ﷺ in terms of torturing and you know trying to kill him multiple times. 
So this is the dua. If they were able to cross, allow me to live until I can fight them because I hate them the most. And if they won't cross, then accept me as a martyr, as a shaheed. Just take my life. I want to die. But not before I witness the punishment of Banu Quraida for their betrayal. Imagine. Again, the dua was very specific. If Quraysh were able to cross the trench, allow me to fight them. And if they were not able to cross the trench, accept me as a martyr. I want to die. Accept me as a martyr because it's such an honor. But not before I see the punishment of Banu Quraida for their betrayal and trying to kill our women and children. And basically Allah accepted the dua. We're going to talk about how. Um, and the reason why uh, Sa'd ibn Mu'adh is more even angry than the average Muslim uh, at Banu Quraida is because he used to be friends with them. You know, he used to have a mutual, there used to be a mutual respect between him and Banu Quraida. And he thought he could trust them. So he became furious when they betrayed that trust, when they betrayed that treaty, and when they tried to kill the women and the children of the Muslims, eventually leading to killing the Muslims themselves. Can you imagine? Now, one day the attack was so severe that the Muslims could not even pray Asr. The Muslims were really preoccupied and distracted by the attack that they totally missed the Asr prayer, the afternoon prayer. And by the way, the Prophet in, in all of his life missed two prayers. And there's a wisdom why he missed them. Uh, the first prayer is this one, the Asr prayer. And another prayer, he missed the Fajr prayer when all the Muslims uh, overslept. Um, and that shows us that you are, as a Muslim, allowed to miss the prayer as long as you don't cause that. So, for example, if you don't sleep at like, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning and then, you know, say, oh, I did not wake up for Fajr time for dawn prayer. No, this is your own doing. But when you sincerely, you know, uh, 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 plan to wake up and you sleep early and, you know, plan to pray and you miss the prayer, you oversleep, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all forgiving. Uh, all you have to do is this. As soon as you wake up, you have to pray and don't make it a habit. Try to pray on time. And this goes for all prayers. When we are distracted, mentally, completely preoccupied, and we don't uh, remember that we uh, were supposed to pray a certain prayer and then we miss it, Allah forgives us. It's called the sahu in Arabic, pre being preoccupied or being, being distracted. And or if you uh, you know oversleep and you miss your prayer, these two in these two conditions, you are excused as long as you were sincere about you know these things, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will forgive you as soon as you know uh, as long as you uh, make that make up that prayer right away. But then if you are awake and if you are just being lazy or if you're like going out and having fun or if you're watching TV or if you're just kept you know postponing and say I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna pray and then you eventually miss it, this is a major sin. So again, so the Prophet and all the Muslims, because of the severity of the attack, they missed the uh, the prayer of, of Asr. And Omar came to the Prophet and he told him that he missed Asr. And our, our Prophet told him that, oh, I missed it too. And technically we all missed it. So they both made wudu and they prayed Asr after you know the sun had set. Of course, that means after Maghrib prayer. And then they prayed Maghrib. And from this, we derive a fiqh ruling, which is when you miss a prayer, 
you pray it first, then you pray the one after. So for example, if I miss the noon prayer, the Dhuhr prayer, and Asr already came, and I did not pray Dhuhr, do not pray Asr first. You have to pray chronologically. So pray Dhuhr prayer, pray the, the prayer that you missed, the noon prayer, then you can pray Asr. And our, our Prophet ﷺ, because of this incident, was so angry at the people uh, of Quraysh for making him miss the Asr prayer. Not because they're trying to kill him. Look at the importance of prayers. Please, my dear brothers and sisters, look at how important the prayers are, the five daily prayers. They're trying to kill the Prophet ﷺ and kill all the Muslims. But that's not what angered him the most. What angered him is that he missed Asr prayer because of them. SubhanAllah. Then, out of nowhere, a man from a tribe called Ghatafan, remember the tribe that participated with Quraysh, you know, Quraysh sent a delegation, the, the tribe that was up north of Medina. A man from that tribe, you know, by the name of Nu'aym ibn Mas'ud, walks into Medina. He walks into Medina. Now, the situation is very dire for the Muslims. 10,000 men, from you know the outside and around two to three thousand men from Banu Quraida are trying to attack from the inside. So a man out of nowhere walks by the name of Nuaim ibn Mas'ud. He walks into Medina and he goes straight to the Prophet and he said to him, O Prophet of Allah, I just converted to Islam. This is a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, a man from the enemy walks into the camp of the Prophet ﷺ and he tells him, O Prophet of Allah, I just converted to Islam. So command me to do whatever you want. SubhanAllah. Clearly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, guided Nu'aym. Again, Nu'aym was not a bad person because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides those who, uh, who have pure hearts and who want to truly be guided. That's how Allah chooses who to be guided and who you know uh, is not to be guided based on your heart and your intentions. So Allah clearly guided Nuaim to shift the tides of the battle, you know, to be uh, you know in favor of the Muslims. Uh, again, I will leave you at this cliffhanger, and we will continue and we will finish the battle of the trench. Inshallah, in the next episode, I honestly tried to finish the whole thing, but there's a lot to be, you know, this whole incident, it, it's going to, you know, it's, it's a long uh, story. So inshallah, we'll leave it to next episode uh, and we will inshallah conclude the battle of the trench in the next episode. Inshallah. Thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.